grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christian churches teach and confess the Holy Trinity, that God is triune, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Churches which reject the teachings of the three ecumenical creeds are not Christian. But while some churches agree with the doctrine of the creeds, they do not confess them in worship or help Christians to learn these creeds by heart. And while that is sad, we still recognize those, those Trinitarian believing churches as Christian. The work of our triune God and how he graciously provides for us are evident in our three readings today. So that will be our focus on the triune God and his gracious provisions for us. The Catechism divides the creed into three parts, one part for each person of the Holy Trinity. We believe in God the Father Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Our Old Testament lesson recounts the, the, the special way that God made man on the sixth day of creation. Except for mankind, God made his creation by speaking. He makes out of nothing simply by speaking. So God said, let there be light, and you know it, there was light. And as it is written, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. At the end of each day, God saw his creation, the things that he has made, and declares them to be good. How things came into being is still debated among many in the scientific world. I've seen articles lately by non-Christian scientists arguing that the current theories that are taught as truth concerning evolution are inadequate and faulty while they are busy engaging on their various debates, we know that the answer is already provided by God in the clear teachings of the Bible. God created the world in six 24-hour days. He created the entire universe during this time, and he did so by speaking. In Genesis, God formed dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that is the special way that he made man not by speaking, but by fashioning this dust, breathing into it, breathing life into it, giving Adam not only a body, but also a soul. And God placed Adam in this garden and placed Adam there to work it and to keep it. And despite calling his creation good each day, God found something that he described as being not good. For it is written, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. It's a very special way in which Eve was made taking a rib from Adam, and there he fashions Eve. 
when God presented Eve to Adam, Adam was filled for joy, for he now had Eve as his wife. And after making mankind, God saw, as it is written, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now God took great care in making all that he had made. It is fascinating to consider all the different life forms, all the many different creatures that God has made on this earth. From tiny microorganisms to huge mammals, God designed them all as part of his wonderful and beautiful world. We depend on the lives of other things that God has made even for our own survival. God's wonderful work in this universe did not end at creation. It's not like he formed everything and then has taken a hands-off approach for everything since. But as we confess in the explanation of the creed, I believe that God has made me and all creatures and still takes care of them. You see, God graciously provides for his creation. Not even the sparrow falls from the ground falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father. This means that, that God graciously also provides for you, that he is active in your lives, helping supply for your various needs. He did, after all, wonderfully and fearfully create you in your mother's womb, bringing you into this world. He promises to continue to take care of you and he gives you all that you need to support your bodies and your lives. That is the work of God. And he even does this for a fallen creation. God gave Adam just one prohibition in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But with Satan tempting Eve, Adam and Eve could not resist they ate of that one tree they were told not to eat of, and by doing so, they brought all of creation into sin. And isn't that how temptation often works? Tell someone, don't do something, and instantly it brings about all sorts of desire to do it. So if you see a sign that says, don't look around the corner, what are you going to want to do? figure out what's behind the corner. Tell a child, don't take cookies from the cookie jar, and the child may begin to start thinking. Those wheels will start churning, saying, hmm, I never thought about taking cookies from the cookie jar myself. I'll have to look for that opportunity to go and dive in for myself and eat what I want. And just a few verses after our epistle lesson, St. Paul reflects on this very reality. He said, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So Paul himself, reflecting on the commandment, don't covet, now makes him want to covet. Adam and Eve's sin, doing the very thing that they were told not to do, resulted in many curses. They're not enmity with God. There's total corruption. 
The wages of their sin, as St. Paul writes, is death. Their sin is then passed on to each and every human being through the begetting of children. And therefore, in sin did our mothers conceive us. We are born sinners. We are sinful from the time of conception. And as hard as we may try, we cannot make ourselves righteous. As much as we want to do that which is good according to our new man and according to our spirit, we cannot do all that is required for us to atone for our sin. And so God promised to Adam and Eve a savior, a man who will be born of a virgin, the son of God who will take away the world's sin. God sent his only begotten son to be the very one to atone for your every last sin, your every last temptation, to reconcile you with God and to cover you with his very righteousness, granting you not the wages of your sin being death, but the gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We certainly do not deserve these wonderful blessings, but God, according to the riches of his gracious nature, provides for us. Just as he provided a ram for Isaac, which was caught in the thicket, so also he provides a lamb for you as your substitute. The lamb of God was lifted up on the cross, so that you will have your sins taken away and so that you are declared by God to be righteous, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We believe, after all, as the second article of the Creed states, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And we also believe, teach, and confess that he has redeemed us with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. We can see a picture of this great compassion that Christ has on all people by providing in the ways that Jesus did in today's gospel. For three days, God had through, or Jesus had preached the mult, to the multitude and healed many people. In fact, the crowd marveled, for as the parallel account of this text in Matthew chapter 15 reports, they saw the mute speaking the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus here was providing for their physical and spiritual needs, healing them, provided for them physically. And by, by performing these miracles, Jesus is proving himself to be the very promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. By preaching to them, he is, he is feeding them spiritually, increasing their faith. And now that three days have passed, they are running out of food. And he does not want to send them away without eating something. He does not want them to go away hungry because he knows that they would faint along the way. So he has compassion on the crowd, great compassion. The Greek word for compassion is splachna which refers to the bowels or the inner being of a person. A similar expression in English would be to have butterflies in a person's stomach. So splachna does not refer to butterflies or nerves, but to the deep ache and hurt that a person has for another person. Quite literally, your guts can hurt for another person. 
That is that word that is used here to describe the compassion that Jesus has on this crowd and why he's not going to just send them away without feeding them first. This is the compassion of Jesus on the multitude and this same compassion Jesus has on you. That is why he, in love, laid down his life for you going to the cross. Jesus fed the 4,000 by having this compassion, by performing this miracle. This, this miracle, by the way, the feeding of the 4,000, happens at some point after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So there are two different feedings of great crowds. And using just seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, the people ate as much as they wanted. And this miracle demonstrates that Jesus is God as the creeds testify. They reveal the profound compassion that Jesus has as he provides graciously for the crowd. And it teaches us something about how Jesus can take something that is a little and make it work for many, which is a very important thing to consider. Jesus took what should have been enough food for just a few families, and he was able to provide for this entire multitude, the 4,000. Now, when Jesus goes to the cross, he doesn't just pay for the sins of a few sinners through the shedding of his innocent blood. It would seem like that's all one person could do, answer for the sins of just a few. But Jesus, being God, when he sheds his innocent blood, answers for the sins of the entire world. He atones for all people's sin. He declares that all have, all sin is canceled out. And then by grace through faith, this is, re, this is granted to us individually. And so there is not a single sinner whom Jesus left out when he went to the cross, and there's not a single sin of a sinner that Jesus left out when he went to the cross. When Jesus shed his innocent blood and suffered the wrath of God being forsaken by him. This also teaches us something about the Lord's Supper. Even though Jesus has ascended into heaven, he can be present everywhere. He is not limited simply to the space in which his body takes up. In fact, he joins himself to the bread and wine in a supernatural way. And therefore, you can be confident that when you receive Holy Communion, the body you are receiving the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so just as Jesus could feed a multitude with a little, so also he feeds Christians around the globe in Holy Communion, imparting his forgiveness to all who believe. And this also shows, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how God is graciously providing for you and for your salvation. After Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, proving that the Father had accepted the sacrifice which Jesus made on your behalf, and he ascended into heaven, Jesus then sent his Holy Spirit to guide you into the way of truth. God provides by giving that which is now complete, the New and the Old Testaments, written for our learning, that we may learn of who God is and how we can obtain eternal life. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, and to sanctify is to make holy. The Holy Spirit grants us the holiness of God as he works faith in us through his word. And when he sanctifies us, he sets us free from our sin. The work of God is, as we heard in our epistle, eternal life. We were once alive to sin, but dead to God, as we heard in our epistle. We were once 
on the path to eternal perdition. But then God, he stepped in with his mercy and he graciously provides yet again for us. He has visited us with his word and sacrament. He has made us alive through holy baptism. He has joined us to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we die to sin in our baptism. And he has united us to the resurrection of Jesus so that we arise to newness of life in our baptism. And so, as it is written, we present ourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, that is, to holiness. For after all, we also testify and believe in that third article of the creed, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. For God the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gifts, and sanctified and kept us in the true faith. He works faith through his church to impart these blessings of Christ, namely, imparting you with that forgiveness of sins, which grants you life and salvation. Our final two verses of today's epistle speak of the incredible blessings from God, signs of his great compassion and evidence that God graciously provides. For it is written, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of this, paradise awaits you. Remember, God had planted a garden and placed Eve in it and formed out of the dust, or placed Adam in it and formed Eve out of the, and, and then made Eve out of the rib of Adam, making perfection a paradise. Well, that is what awaits you. For when our Lord Jesus Christ returns on the last day, he will raise your bodies from the dead. Your soul, which will go to be with the Lord when you breathe your last, will be reunited to your body. Your body will be perfect in absolutely every way. And you will dwell with the Lord who will recreate the heavens and the earth. You will dwell with him in perfection to all eternity. What wonderful and amazing blessings you have from our triune God that he graciously provides for you by sustaining this world despite its fallenness, by redeeming you through his son, and by sanctifying you through his spirit. Truly, he does all things well. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life.